1: For more information, visit InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
2: This is Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network, coming to you live from r- Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today is Wednesday, February 5th, and this is the fifth show of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. So today we're going to be talking restaurant, r- restaurant r- um, design, and my special guest is, I will introduce him in a moment, I'll keep you waiting to find out who that is, Um, and on every episode, I will, I will start out with my PR tip and then we're going to do speed round questions, restaurant news discussion, solo dining experience of the week, and the final question. As your host and the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Okay. So today's tip is dedicated to the subject line. Yes, you heard me right. I'm talking about your email subject line. Now you may think it's, it's not important, but. It is, especially when it comes to pitching the media, as press people may receive hundreds of emails a day, and they will hit the delete button if they don't know what your email is about simply because they don't have time. It's not that they don't want to read your email. It's just often a time issue. So your subject line needs to get their attention, and that doesn't mean use all caps. It means to include essential information so that the person receiving your email knows what it is about without opening it whether it's a press release, invitation, or a query. You can think of it like Twitter. You have a limited amount of space to get your message across. Remember, subject lines are your first impression. It needs to be good. Okay, so I'm excited about my guest today. It is Glenn Coben of Glenn & Company, an architectural and interior design firm in New York that specializes in hospitality and retail sectors. Glenn founded his company in 2000, to provide customized designs that realize each client's vision while challenging and engaging his customers. Some of Glenn's restaurant projects include, or have included, Old Homestead, Del Posto, Miguel Sanchez Romero, The Marrow, and Carbone. He has also designed hotels such as Fashion 26 and Trip Times Square South, plus corporate interiors for Sony and Nike Town. Before starting Glenn & Company, he was a principal of the Rockwell Group, and he's a graduate of Cornell. So welcome, Glenn.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Sherry.
2: Thanks for coming out. Now, those listening out there don't know this, but Glenn was super kind to record my very first pilot episode with me that, unfortunately, none of you are going to hear because we, we changed the, the concept of the show. We, we, thought, we, thought we, we thought we did a good job. And it was fantastic. <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> and... um I'm, I'm so appreciative of you coming back. And on, when he, when Glenn came out, he brought me a little gift. He brought me a number one mug, as indicating for the, the first show. So I've been looking hard in, <laughs> for a number one, a number five. I have not been able to find a mug. So instead. Uh oh. Oh, this is good. I brought you. Wow. I mean, I'll tell do I you. Get, do I get to open it on air? You the, can open on it on air. Um,
3: Ooh, wrapping paper! <laughs> chocolate. You Yum. can't go wrong with chocolate. Oh, fantastic! Thank you.
2: You're welcome. It's um, it's from La Maison du Chocolate, and they didn't have. Well, I asked for a five-piece set. They didn't have, <laughs> so I got the five. I got a six, which is perfect. Episode five, episode one. We got six chocolates. Awesome. All right,
3: I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.
2: So, let's talk. Let's let's start with your background. And I know you went to Cornell. Now, did you study design? What was your career path that got you into restaurant re, um, design?
3: Well, to get to restaurant design, it was a very uh, circuitous path. Um, I did go to Cornell for architecture school. And I am an architect, um, and I went in a very jagged line without a real, true destination, uh, other than the fact that I thought that I always wanted to go out on my own—you know, the sole proprietor kind of uh, route. But as you said earlier, I, I I worked at Nike, which was an amazing experience and had nothing to do with restaurant, but it had everything to do with understanding a brand. And really taking a brand, in this case, a two-dimensional swoosh that had the ideas about what the brand values were and how do you create a three-dimensional expression of that. So while I worked as an architect before going out there, that was really almost, um, in a sense, me getting an MBA, both in understanding how a big business runs, but really stepping outside of this struggling architect in New York and finding out that there are bigger stories that one can tell. And with Nike, what I really learned was you could tell multiple stories in a three-dimensional way, and that became what a Nike town is about. And I've taken that with me in pretty much every every place that I've gone from that point forward. So at Rockwell Group, we were really telling big stories. Um, I had worked on the uh, theater for the Academy Awards, the Kodak Theater. And that was Those are all
2: very big projects,
3: really, really big projects. So when I felt as if I had not so much established a name for myself, but really established a set of skills that were beginning to erode as I was growing and, and becoming more of a corporate um, principal, I realized that the true calling or my true calling or my true passion was the the craft of being an architect. And that's when I decided to go out, go out on my own.
2: That makes sense. And so was it at Rockwell Group that you sort of transitioned more into restaurant design?
3: I think at Rockwell Group I understood, I, I began to learn about restaurants because obviously David was one of the true... Um, masters of restaurant design, along with Adam Tahani, the uh, late Larry Bogdano. Um There were true top shelf, upper echelon restaurant designers that I could look to and say, these guys are, are the ones that really raised the bar. But my true breakthrough in, in opening up my own firm was pure happenstance. Um, I got a call from uh, somebody that I knew who said, hey, I, I know this chef. He is looking for an architect and a designer. He doesn't want to go to the big guys. Uh, would you be interested in meeting him? And um, his name was Jonathan Waxman. And uh, I know
2: Jonathan. Yeah, it's so a big, That's a big name in
3: the culinary world. And I really didn't know him at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of what I have learned in the industry or what I bring to the industry, um, I, I learned a lot from Jonathan. It was a great experience. And, but that was my first and what, restaurant project.
2: What was that restaurant?
3: Washington Park. So that uh, on, the, opened, on the
2: Upper West Side?
3: No, that Jams was Upper West okay. Side. So Washington Park, Jonathan had closed Jams and he was doing a bunch of different things. He was consulting with Delta, I believe, and he he saw Washington Park, which was the old Rose Cafe on the corner of Fifth Avenue and Eighth Street. Oh, okay. Uh, or ninth street maybe. Um, and he saw that as um, the neat thing about that restaurant is that when you walked in the door, you walked down three or four, maybe five steps, and the kitchen was at the end of that that sort of vista, and it was almost as if it was a stage. And it was kind of like this weird, put Jonathan on stage, and he was coming back into the big time. And um, it was a beautiful restaurant. It really, we captured the essence of California cuisine. It was a historic space. It was... Um, it was a landmark building and there were some beautiful beautiful bones there was a terrazzo floor and a a um a wonderful plaster ceiling that we had restored
2: that just got me thinking about landmark space that has to be a challenge or a difference working with landmark spaces
3: uh definitely a a big challenge we're working on a couple right now and you know you want to be respectful and that's what i truly love about the restaurant industry is that every project, we're, we're, we're focusing on each project's, project as if it's its own story. It has to be. So the chef that we're working with or the restaurateur that we're working with on a current project, it's their story. It's not my story. It's not somebody else's story. So each time we come to a project, we're starting with what is the essence of their idea? What is the essence of their menu? Where is their cuisine coming from? And then how do we relate it to the space? So if it's a landmark space, where we, we need to tie in some of that history. And if it isn't a landmark space, we have to bring in, make it, we want to make it as locally relevant as possible.
2: Makes sense. So <laughs> when you started, you were, were you a one-man show? And then you've, how many employees do you have now? <laughs> you've grown.
3: Um, we have grown um, We're still what I would refer to as a boutique-sized architecture and design firm. When I started, uh, we had one project, and I had uh, hired someone that had interned for me when I was at Rockwell Group, and the prospect of that was, of hiring her, was If it doesn't work out, you can always get another job. I'm not sure about me, but I think you can. (laughs) Um, And what was amazing is that uh, she stayed with me for five years and went on to a great career and a great – I tell people that in a small firm, it it takes a certain person. It takes a certain uh, sensibility and a certain mentality. But they're going to learn at a much more accelerated pace. Than if you're going to a larger firm. So I like people that have been in both different kinds, of, both sizes of firms. Um, but the you have to wear many hats in a small firm. So to answer your question, I, we we're about I five people. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're five okay. people um, in addition to myself.
2: Great. And so, what have been some projects you've worked on that memorable? Some of your favorites over the years? Wow, that's a big question. It's a tough question. Um, Well, I only have
3: one child. So I know I can say that my daughter is my favorite daughter (laughs) and my favorite child. Um, And we have this conversation about pizza is Roberta's pizza better than Rudy's pizza where in the town where I grew up, grew up. Um, How do you pick? Um, Each project is special. I would really define the 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 happier projects that were true collaborations. And the success of those projects was how involved and how, much, how collaborative were the clients. So, um, and I'm not picky about it. I think that we've done some pretty amazing projects from Del Posto, which is the only Italian four-star restaurant in New York, to restaurants that have never been reviewed, like Brother Jimmy's Barbecue. So the range is important to me and what's really important is that we're working with people that are truly passionate about what they do.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that and I was going to mention Del Posto because that is just the design, I mean, you it's spectacular. You walk in there and it is it is a one-of-a-kind restaurant. It's just grand and the staircase comes down and uh, I've i I've always been so impressed that <laughs> That's a Glenn Coben project
3: well thank you it was it it's uh it it's a humbling experience it's a humbling thing to have somebody say that it's my project, but it was truly a collaborative project um Joe and Lydia were involved, and Lisa Eden, who has done a lot of the interior design and decorating of all of Joe and Mario's projects, was very involved with the project and she was fantastic to work with because she was really a filter um and she was essentially the client. She knew what they wanted. She knew what they were thinking. But to think about 22,000 square feet of space and creating a restaurant that captures the essence of what their, not only their cuisine, but their service model. I mean, that was the big challenge is in a space that we inherited that had many different levels. How do you create a four-star dining experience so that the Garadons can come out of the kitchen? that all those wine glasses that they're using throughout the course of the meal can go back into the kitchen and be cleaned. So the, the logistics, a, not a, just
2: what looks pretty. I mean, <laughs> th-
3: what, what I love about your program, Shari, is that it's it's all in the industry. So we end up with pretty pictures, but the process that goes into creating these pretty or these beautiful places or these places that tell stories, that's probably the smallest percentage of what we do for in our days but figuring out the logistics of, I mean, having designed retail stores, having done corporate offices, having done lots of different projects, the complexity of a restaurant, It it's crazy.
2: It is crazy. And I remember reading, and you'll have to get my story straight on this, but something with the water level being so close to the river and having challenges with with the basement level or… Uh, you're well, bringing
3: back, uh, am, I, am I bringing back almost bad dreams. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you think about with with the, the how a restaurant functions, the behind the scenes things like where does the grease trap go, and it's the lowest point of any of the plumbing, um, and then so it, when we drilled a hole through the cellar uh, floor in the space, we noticed that the it looked like it was water. It ended up being high tide around. From the Hudson River, and it was the water was about 14 inches below the slab. So you have to think about okay, we're putting in two elevators, we're putting in a gigantic grease trap, and we're putting in um, all these other things that go below the slab. Where's that? What What do you do with the water when you're trying to cut those holes? So it's really really cool.
2: A lot of challenges. Yes. I hope I hope I didn't bring that back too much and disturb your sleep for tonight. I, I might not <laughs> be able to sleep. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
0: Tonight.
2: Awesome.
0: I just want to hold you so nice and tight. I ain't looking for no fight. Just let it go now. For no showdown, so won't you oh you're listening to Let It Go door. by the California Honey Drops on Heritage Radio Network.org. Tell me you want some more oh, oh. won't you stop? All your keeping score now, just let it go now.
1: Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. You, you kept on saying All the things that were wrong
2: No. Hi, welcome back. I'm your host Sherry Bayer, and, and you're listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today, my guest is Glenn Copen, and we're talking hospitality design. Okay, Glenn. So last week I had on Leslie Syben of Syben and Carr, and she specializes in restaurant real estate. I believe you two know each other. Yes. Uh, well, she was she was great on the show, and I asked her to ask a question for you, and she came up with like well, five I, five questions. Well,
3: Sherry, I was listening last <laughs> week, and I was getting very upset with Leslie for uh, asking so many questions.
2: Well, yeah, no, she. I think it's. I think it's just because she 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 wants to know. You know, get into what you do and find mm. out the details. So, I will, The questions were, and we'll see how much you can answer all of these. Um, so she said, "How did you get into the specialty of restaurants?" She said she knows you're a natural designer, but why restaurants? And how do you vet your client and determine what they need to be doing design-wise? And <laughs> how, how do you work with their budgets, small or large? Wow. So I know it's, it's a loaded question. How many hours do we have? Oh, well, well maybe we could stay all day, but <laughs> I don't know. We'll see we wrap this up in five minutes. No. Well,
3: well, Leslie, thank you for such uh, softball questions here. Um, boy, budgets, um, well, I'll start with why restaurants. Um, I think that, um, well, going back to when I was at Cornell, I was a teaching assistant in the hotel school. And I think that sort of um, started, it, it sort of planted a little seed. And I never really thought about it in this way. Every once in a while when you look back, you kind of go, hey, that made sense. That, that sort of connected some dots for me
2: yeah well, uh, but when i when i whenever I hear someone went to Cornell, I think hospitality hotel management, i I think of that arena,
3: right. But I was in the architecture school, and what was what was really neat about the hotel school was that senior year project, the students had to either design a hotel or a restaurant. and so the the professor at the time, it was Professor Compton, who's passed away, unfortunately. He mined the hotel sc- he mined the architecture students, so it was it was this really special experience and it was almost a little cloak and dagger-ish that hey it, you know it was passed down from from class to class, and if you knew the right person, they would invite you to meet with the professor and see if you would fit in and I was fortunate that I knew one of the guys we we were out drinking together, and he said, "Oh, I've got this great gig for you and I did it for two years and The neat thing is that you're teaching students who were in their last year of hotel school how to draw and how to design. Now, that's a trip in itself, but um, it really, um, it planted a seed for me that, uh, A, I got to hang out with some of these hotel students who were like, are you kidding me? I'm going to draw? I'm going out. I'm graduating. I already have a job. But... They had to pass the class so we had to figure out a way for them to draw and design and and do it all do it all at one time okay um so it was a really neat experience another connect the dot moment was after i graduated i went to vermont i cooked as i worked as a short order cook for a couple of months um i wasn't very good but it was it was great to be behind the line and really it kind of foretold what i might be doing in the future So it was, again, I didn't think that this is going to lead me somewhere. It was just a means to eating, basically, when I was skiing. Um, But as I said earlier, the experience with Jonathan, Jonathan Waxman, really sort of pushed me into this idea that restaurant design or hospitality design had a lot of merit in it, and it segued nicely, and it, it blended nicely with this idea from Nike about storytelling. So What better than to hang out with chefs um, or restaurateurs and hear their story, hear their lives, and try and make it a three-dimensional place that doesn't overshadow the food but truly complements the dining experience? So it's it's a great thing to do. It's really neat. And, you know, we, we enjoy it.
2: Yeah, I think you've told me before how you you do you spend a lot of time with the chefs and restaurateurs before opening, so you can get to know their personality, and because essentially you're you know you're creating a space for them.
3: Absolutely, I mean we have to spend time together. The successful projects, although Romero was not a successful project from a from a culinary standpoint, um, I spent a lot of time with Miguel. One of my great moments was walking the Bucaria with Miguel. Uh, and hanging out with him in his kitchen. Or when we were doing Carbones, um, Mario and Jeff and I would go out, and sometimes on a Tuesday night we would be dining at three different restaurants. So you really get into the whole essence of what they're trying to do, not just from a design standpoint, but really sitting there and, and hearing them talk about food and talk about service. Yeah,
2: it's... it's. Um it's fun. I mean, I and I love that you do that because you really, you get, I think that's a, a good way to, I guess, do your research or uh, figure out what direction to go.
3: And you get to eat pretty
2: well, too. Yes. <laughs> yes. As I said, fun. And I, I would like everyone to know, because I think it's awesome that you were nominated for a James Beard Award for design for the Miguel Sanchez Romero project in 2012. Yes. And that yes. is. That it is was awesome.
3: It was really awesome. It was it was sad that the restaurant had closed, um but it was yes. it it's a true honor to be amongst the the pretty small group of architects and designers who have been nominated. So it was uh it was a great moment. Very very proud.
2: Yes, you should be. And um well, Leslie she she did ask I don't know if we can go back to her questions a little bit about working with budgets, small and large, like how do you, how do you deal with that? Or is
3: well, um, I think it's all about communication and a budget, it, a budget needs to be realistic. I very often tell restaurateurs or chefs that when I interview with them, I say, whether you're going to hire me or you're going to hire another design firm, make sure that You hold a little bit of money off to the side as a contingency. Don't tell anybody about it because this is New York, and New York, plan on things going wrong, plan on things taking longer than expected, plan on um, contingency after contingency. So whether the budget is very, very small um, or or moderate or very large, it really pays to communicate and really be very detail-oriented about how much things are going to cost. But also, how long things are going to take, because that has a direct uh, direct effect on the budget.
2: And how long do things usually take?
3: A lot longer than, uh, than you would ever imagine, right? Yes. Yeah, not to be a, a smartass about it, but um, look at what's happening with uh, Tavern on the Green. I mean, the idea that the gas can't get can turned on at a at a at a an amazing place like that, at a landmark place like that. That um, always
2: seems, from my experience, the gas being turned on to be. I would say probably the number one delay. I don't know licenses too, it's health an inspections, awesome, but
3: gas is an awesome excuse to use because it it doesn't put the onus on any specific person. But you know, we've used gas as an excuse uh over the years and it hasn't been gas. I'm not saying that that's what's going on at uh Tavern, but um Gas is one of the first things that gets taken care of when you start a project. It's as simple as an engineer writing a letter to Con Ed saying, we request gas service. So um,
2: it might be. It might be. I don't <laughs> know. It's supposed to open soon. This month. This week. I don't know. It's, we'll, we'll, we'll keep reading about it and find out. It should be soon. And uh, I wanted to ask... What advice you have for someone who, who's looking to get into design specifically for restaurants or hotels? We didn't really talk about your hotel projects.
3: Um, they, they kind of fall into the same category. It's storytelling. Um, but advice? Um, the best one is the advice that I got from Jonathan 14 years ago. Check your ego at the door. This is not your project. This is my project. And um, I remember that each Good and every advice. time. Each and every time. it's uh, There's nothing that makes me more proud when somebody will go into a restaurant like Carbone's and not really feel that someone designed it and then say, oh, you designed that? That's amazing. It looks nothing like – each of our projects looks like the project is supposed to look, but it doesn't look like another one of our projects.
2: You're you're very good at that. I don't see it – every, every restaurant I've been to that you've designed is unique to itself. I don't – it's i i don't always i don't usually know i would guess it is your project until you tell me because um they're special
3: i remember when you said oh you designed carbones, that's great yeah i
2: had no idea it's cool (laughs) that's great very good okay we're gonna take another break and come back with my speed round and industry news this is all in the industry on heritage radio network
0: Like the way you do, Whoa, the way you took it so slow. You're listening to Lovin' Like never This by the California Honey Drops on Heritage Radio Network.org. So no, I ain't never, 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 never had no lovin' like this before. You, yeah, you made me feel so good inside. And oh, whoa, oh, 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 babe, you really ought to know that I never never, never, never had no loving like this before. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org, the ICC, with locations in New York and California. Provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef's Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Ooh, yeah, I knew that you felt it too. But oh.
2: Okay, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Glenn Cobin. And it's time for my speed round questions. Are you ready, Glenn? I'm ready. Okay, ready. I'm just going to give you a choice of two things, and you tell me your favorite. And or there's
3: no explanation here. It's just... No, no,
2: it. speed round. We're just going to go through it Okay. quickly. Like, ready? I'm ready. Okay. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or Cocktail. Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates?
3: Really large plates. <laughs>
2: Super large. <laughs> Uptown or downtown? Downtown. Hotels or restaurants?
3: Hmm. Restaurants.
2: Retail or residential? Retail. Meat for breakfast or meat for happy hour? Breakfast. Tipping. Love breakfast. I thought that was what you were going to say. <laughs> Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Dessert or cheese plate? Dessert. New York City or Westchester? New York City. <laughs> Very good. Actually, I was I was I was on your website and I saw uh, your Coben Kitchen.
3: Uh yes, that was just put on about two weeks ago.
2: Well, I was impressed because <laughs> I, I live in the city and I do not have a Coben kitchen.
3: <laughs> ah, sounds like a brand name here.
2: It does. It was beautiful. Thank you. So Thank you. No, that's, yeah. I
3: think I got fired from that project at some point. My wife just got fed up and said, <laughs> somebody else needs to do this.
2: Well, you got through it. Yes. So, and, yep. yeah, yeah, I was impressed. Okay, so we're going to talk about some industry news. Um, I wasn't planning to talk about this but uh, just a couple hours ago I got really sad news Uh, Daryl Robinson who was known as the Dr. Mixologist and he was a cocktail specialist and he passed away Uh, he was 50 and from the article I saw there wasn't a reason why but I'm I'm pretty much in shock over, over this he I got to know him uh, over the past year. We we worked on Whitman and Bloom, a restaurant that opened in Murray Hill. Uh, I did the PR, and he was in charge of the cocktail program. And Glenn, you came to. We did the the tenth anniversary party of my company at cockta- this restaurant.
3: The cocktails there were amazing. Yeah, yeah he's. so
2: sad. Yeah, he's so talented, and I I I'm I'm really sad about it. I it's just hard to believe when someone's so young passes away, and you can't really, you know, you start questioning why.
3: It's terrible. I saw I saw you had tweeted something about it. and
2: I, Yeah, I, I saw it on Twitter, and I, I just... I just couldn't believe it. Uh, wow. It's just... It's awful. It's terrible. So, unfortunately, that's my first news, and my condolences to his family and his friends, and um, I will miss you, Daryl. You're a good guy. Mm. Okay, so... Let's talk about something a little happier. It was a happy day for Anita Lowe. In the New York Times she was upgraded from two stars to three stars for her restaurant, Anissa, which is in the West Village. And uh yeah, I I think that's awesome.
3: Fantastic. I mean it uh I, I haven't eaten in there in years, but um I and I don't know Anita, but I mean I, I couldn't be happier to see you know the 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 issue that came out, I guess it was about a month ago uh, with, with women the women chefs, yeah. yeah, and just to see someone like Anita who has been steady and a real industry leader get this kind of recognition, I hope that it just uh, launches her into much more national notoriety
2: yeah, I do too i I dined there, but many years ago, and i, I remember it was a it was a great experience, and she's I don't know. There was a little Twitter conversation uh, about other, like, who were other women chefs who've received three stars. So I saw this going on. I took some notes. It was Lydia Bastianich and mm-hmm. Ann sure. Rosen Zweigel. Well, you worked with Lydia yeah. from Del Posto, right. and which is now four stars, but, um, and uh, also Deborah Ponzik, who was at Montrachet, and Patricia Yeo from AZ. So that was. Those was the ones that people threw out there, but I think it's, right. it's not there's not, not many <laughs> it's not
3: a, and it's certainly not enough yeah yeah,
2: yeah true so congratulations anita it's, it's really really happy for you okay another uh inter- it's not, it's 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 a topic I, I I thought it was a really good read with in the industry um on ice on ice's website and ice is the Institute of culinary education. Their creative director and pastry and baking arts chef instructor, who is a, a pastry chef, he used to be at Oceana. Uh, his name is Michael Lascos Conis. He wrote a day in the life of a professional kitchen, and I read through it and I just enjoyed it. I, I had worked in kitchens a very long time ago, so it brought back some memories. But it was a very it was a very positive piece just about what it's like to get there early in the morning and see the ritual of setting up and and to go through the day and prep and then leaving at night when, you know, the streets are quiet but you see your fellow chefs all heading home after an exhausting day. And I just, I didn't, enjoyed it, so I figured I would bring it up.
3: I, I enjoyed it too. Um, I think that if, um, for those of us with our own businesses or have worked in even big, big bu- businesses, or companies to go in early and to get a get a sense of what's going on, and I think that that I think Michael communicated that beautifully in in the piece. Um, not to be a negative or a naysayer, when you put it up against Anita's review, and you start mining it a little bit, it was a little bit too much from the male perspective. And I'm not saying as a pastry chef because I don't want to yeah, pigeonhole women into the pastry world, but. I, I, I was a little hypersensitive to the idea that it was really about guys or you know that hey I would see another chef and we would acknowledge we would see each other or I'd see him on the, on the subway after the shift so
2: no, that's, that's, that's interesting I read that article before I read the Anissa <laughs> article right. so it didn't strike me the same way but I, I totally see what you're saying
1: yeah, it,
3: was just, it was just pure context that's all. Yeah. But it, it, I did read in, uh, the review first, so maybe I was a little hypersensitive to it.
2: No, it's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. And uh, the last industry news I had was from the New York Post, and we, we touched on this a bit. Uh, Steve Kuzo wrote about storied New York City eateries to relaunch, but can old... Well, this is the title. Storied New York City eateries to relaunch, but can old flames be rekindled? And he was talking about... Gallagher's and Tavern on the Green, both which are set to open any day now, and uh, I guess Glenn, I, I don't know if you if you're familiar with Gallagher's or these projects, or uh, it's inter- it will be interesting to see the redesign. I think especially of Tavern on the Green.
3: Well, I think Tavern. I, I think about Tavern and I think about what people who were writing when Carbone's opened, and how could you take Rocco's and change it right. I mean, what a travesty to uh, to leave the sign and put carbon's over the Carbone name over it and look at what you've done to the interior of the restaurant and um, it, it that again has been in the news over the last month about heritage and what is worth preserving of the past and we t- touched on landmarks and I think that there's going to be um, I hope it's not a major backlash but tavern is going to look very different when it opens than it did when it closed.
2: Absolutely,
3: and it's nostalgia, and it's heritage, and I, I, I love Katie. I think she's super talented, and um, I, I hope, I, I wish them all the success in the world.
2: Me too, and that's that's Katie Sparks, who's the, the consultant, the executive chef. She's the yeah, chef, the chef. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think everyone's going to be looking also. I, what they have done and oh, ready to critique they, they have a bullseye
3: <laughs> on them that's super huge
2: well, it's, it's it's a very big reopening so right,
3: right.
2: look forward to seeing seeing what they've done okay we're going to take one more quick break we'll be right back with my solo dining experience on all in the industry on heritage radio network
0: You're listening to Cryin' Blues by the California Honey Drops on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
2: The Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. So have you ever gone somewhere, and as soon as you're there, you think, why have I not been here before? Well, that was my reaction last week when I went to Upstate Craft Beer and Oyster Bar in East, in the East Village. It's on First Avenue by 6th Street, and I'd heard of the place. It opened in 2011 And it was on my list, but somehow I failed to get there until now, and now that I've been, I will be back because it's just a cool, small, very casual neighborhood place with awesome oysters, a limited seafood menu, and a great happy hour special. From 5 to 7 p.m. daily, you can get six oysters and a craft beer for $12. And at other times, the oysters are between $2.50 and $3, so it's still a pretty good deal. I was there for happy hour, and I was able to get the last seat at the bar. And I started with, I got the half dozen oysters. They had three varieties you can get with a happy hour special. So they were Duck Island Petite, Naked Cowboy, and Wild Oyster Bay. And I liked them all. They were really fresh. And then uh, I wanted a little something more filling, so I ordered the scallops with risotto. And that was delicious. And it was $18. Um, And they give you... A dessert at the end for free which is a whiskey bread so it was a really great New York City experience with what I thought great New York City prices and the service was very friendly it was happening as I was leaving I, I met the manager Steve who I told I, I was going to talk about this on today's show so if you're out there Steve uh, it was really nice to meet you and I think the East villagers are lucky to have upstate in, in their neighborhood. Glenn have you been there?
3: I haven't. I'm, I think it's I'm cool. Going, I think I'm Did going, I sell it? I'm going. T- I'm going tomorrow.
2: <laughs> no, it's it's it's. You have to get there. If you go for the happy hour, you have to get there right at five o'clock, or else you're not going to get in. It's popular.
3: I can't remember the last time I left the office before <laughs> five, but it sounds like it's worth it.
2: All right. Well, maybe take <laughs> take a break and then you can go back to work. That's a good idea. So, um, if any if anyone wants to share solo dining experiences with me, you can. You can find me on Facebook at All in the Industry. Uh, you can also tweet me at All Industry at Sherry Bayer, and I'm also on Instagram. Okay, so, Glenn, now's your, your time to ask the final question. And next week I have on Andrew Riggi. He is executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance which is a broad-based membership association founded in 2012 to foster the growth and vitality of the industry that has made New York City the hospitality capital of the world.
3: All right, Andrew.
2: <laughs> Do you you, you know, know Andrew, 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 right?
3: Andrew and I are on uh, the board of uh, Colintro.
2: Colintro is coming on as my guest later later in the series, too. Yay, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I've been thinking about what to ask Andrew because I know him and we've, we've spent some time together at board meetings um, and I thought should I ask a question about the letter grades but I think he's going to ta- I hope he'll talk about that without being prompted by me to ask the question so I'm going to throw I out I ask him that on my own I'm going to throw out a different question okay um, what will the Giants do about offense next year <laughs> and how far did he throw that ball when he was on the field
2: I saw that photo <laughs> and that is a different question than I had planned in my agenda. So, perfect. I'm,
3: I'm sorry, but I I think that what the Hospitality Alliance is doing is phenomenal and I have a couple of their checklists that we use as standard procedure when we're doing a restaurant. So, if if people don't know about the alliance and what andrew has been doing as an advocate for restaurant tours um people really need to know so i'm glad that he's going to be on and um that that really is uh, what what they're doing is phenomenal so i don't have a lot of questions about it okay. but i think there'll be people out there that are that should be very curious
2: yeah i'm i'm excited to have him on he's he's a great guy and i i agree i think he's doing great things so well, thanks for coming out here today, Glenn. My pleasure. I mean, uh, it's pretty sloppy out there, but... Uh, yeah, it's a very out. sludgy, snowy day in New York City. Uh, but we, we trekked through it. We got out here, and I really appreciate you you coming back and doing this episode with my, me.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: You're welcome. So Glenn Glenn's company is Glenn & Company. His website is glennandcompany.com, and he's on Twitter and Instagram, at Glenn Coben. And... My PR website for anyone interested is BayerPublicRelations.com and that Twitter Instagram handle is Bayer PR. So if you missed the live broadcast, you can find us archived on network.org and on Stitcher. Thanks to my engineer, Evan, and to all of you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry. This is Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Hope you'll tune in then. Have a good one. Bye.